If you guys will, just turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 for me. I want to start with this text. This is where uh, the Apostle Paul, reflecting on the um, things that took place in the wilderness uh, in the book of Numbers, just kind of reflected on, and uh, even to the New Testament church uh, there in Corinth, um, he's just highlighting these um, these things. And I just want to show you guys what he says here. You guys turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. We're going to read through 1 through 11. I want you guys to turn here. I just want to say it's always a pleasure and a blessing to be here. Uh, we've been with uh, the Cravats since the beginning of this, and uh, we try to come up here as much as we can. And uh, I love filling in for Nathan. Um, you guys are just a, a great company to be in. Um, I will say this. I, I was shocked that uh, when he came to me uh, in the last year and said, hey, I'm thinking about uh, teaching through uh, surveys of the Bible, which are going to go through book through book. And I was like, man, I think that's a great idea. And uh, he said, all right, well, I think uh, I want to see if he can get you to do the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy. And I was like, oh, man. So, <laughs> so whereas Nathan went through two books last Sunday, I'm going to try to top that and go through four. So I hope you guys brought your lunch. Um, but no, I'll joke aside. Um, my goal is to try to go through this 40 years uh, wilderness wandering in about 40 minutes. Um, but let's begin in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, reading off verse 1, it says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that flowed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be like the idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Let's pray. Lord, again, I just want to come before you and ask for your help as we look at this book that you've given us that was inspired uh, by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that even the Apostle Paul said, written thousands of years later, was for our instruction. So, Lord, again, I just um, ask that you would help us to understand your word, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would press it into our hearts, give us our application from it. And I ask this in Jesus' name. All right, so I'm just going to, again, give you guys an overview of the book of Numbers. And let me say this. This is in no way to um, replace your Bible reading of the book of Numbers. Um, this is a book that there's so much here. There's so much story within the story. And, um, yeah, again, four, 40 minutes, let alone four weeks or four months, God can barely do justice to this book. So, again, I encourage you guys as we... Um, 
give the overview, that you guys would go back and reread the story, and maybe with this little understanding that I get this morning, will help some things come to light for you. Um, I want to begin by the title of the book. The book actually has two titles. Um, the one that we're familiar with comes from the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, which was written about two, second century BC. Um, it's the word arithmos. It's where we get the word arithmetic or math or numbers. And this title was given to highlight the two senses that were given in the book of Numbers in chapter 1 and then again in chapter 26. Um, the same book is also in the Jewish Bible, um, but it has a different name. Um, the name of it is the Bidmar. I don't speak Hebrew. And this comes from the Hebrew word in the wilderness. And this just covers the overall um, theme of what took place in, in, in there in the wilderness. So again, um, we have the book Numbers, uh, but it just is a different title in the Hebrew Bible. Um, the author, um, again, is Moses. Um, all, most of all, least reputable uh, scholars, uh, Jewish and Christian, uh, hold that Moses wrote the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. This being the fourth book, um, there's never really been any question as to the authorship of this book. Um, it wasn't really until the late 18th century where we had liberal scholars coming in and begin to question it. And I'll say this, the only considerable argument they had is if you look at in Numbers chapter 12, um, verse 3, it reads this. It says, Now the man of Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. Raises a big question. Would somebody, a man who was meek, or some translations say humble, call himself humble? That kind of defeat the purpose, right? But what it's important to understand is he would if the Holy Spirit inspired him to do so. Um, furthermore, the internal witness of the book of Exodus um, gives evidence that uh, Moses was the author. If you look at the very first verse, the first chapter of the book, but also the very last chapter, if you guys will turn there, we'll go ahead and get into the book of uh, Numbers here. The last verse there in chapter 36, verse 13. Says, it says that these are the commandments and the rules that the Lord commanded through Moses to the people of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan of Jericho. So it's just summing up that, that, that these were the writings uh, of the Lord um, that were commanded through Moses. Again, just something else to highlight. It was common in Jewish antiquity to write in third person. So all throughout the Old Testament, you'll see a lot of the authors writing third person. So it wasn't uncommon. And again, we also got to remember this too, that this is God's story. And so ultimately, he's writing it as he inspired others. Um, and I know Nathan's really highlighted that um, throughout the series. But in both places, Old and New Testament, the book of Numbers is referred to many times and always giving credit to Moses as the author. Um, second, I want to look at the time in which it was written. Again, most scholars uh, attribute this to about 1444 to 1405 B.C. Um, 1405 being when they believed uh, was the year that Moses passed away. Again, covering the 40 years approximately more technically, the second year to the 40th year of the wilderness wandering. 
And also it can be divided up into two sections. Uh, the first uh, 25 chapters uh, dealing with the first generation uh, that was in the wilderness. Uh, with an overlap between the 15th and 25th uh, chapters of the first and second generation. And then 26th chapter on through the 36th chapter, we're looking at the experiences of the second generation. Chronologically, uh, this book falls and takes place one month after the end of the book of Exodus. So where Nathan's been trying to get you guys to see where this story fits in with, with, with the big story, if you look at Exodus 40, Verses 16 and 17 says that this Moses did according to all the Lord commanded him. So he did in the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. So we have the first month and the second year on the first day of the month. And then if you look at Numbers chapter 1, verse 1, it says the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meetings on the first day of the second month in the second year. After they had come out from the land of Egypt. So again, it gives you this one month uh, space between the two. So if that's helpful for you guys to just kind of know the place in it. Um, next uh, in my only slide is going to be a map of the uh, location. I forgot my um, uh, laser pointer. But uh, just so you guys can look back there. You'll see uh, right after uh, they received the law. Um, the commandments at Mount Sinai down south, you'll see they traveled up north. It says that, that they, they wandered in the wilderness of Sinai. So if you, can, if you look there, you'll see that space in between there, uh, right between the, the wilderness of Sin and the wilderness of Paran. And um, if you've noticed, that's just south of the border of Canaan. And this is where the story, the majority of the story takes place. In fact, there's a city called Kadesh where you'll see reference a lot of times. This is where um, uh, the spies return from Canaan after sp spying out the land. This is also where Miriam dies. And this is also where Moses strikes the rock in sin. So we, again, we see uh, this area uh, takes uh, the majority of the um, book of Numbers until they begin to uh, travel towards um, uh, from uh, Kadesh to Mount Hor. And that's in chapter 20. And that's just going to be on the northeast uh, region and border of Eden. So northeast of uh, Kadesh to the border of Eden. And then from chapter 22 to the end of the book, we see uh, them right in the plains of Moab, which is the eastern border of Canaan. So basically, they, they begin south of the border of Canaan, and then they begin to travel northeast around to the eastern side of Canaan. So regionally speaking, almost you know, ending in the same place they started because of the wandering, because of their sin. Alright, next I want to look at the people in uh, the book of Numbers. Uh, Moses, obviously, key figure here. But I also want to look at his uh, brother and sister, uh, Aaron, who was the high priest, the first high priest to be exact, and then Miriam, his sister. And so for this, let's go ahead and uh, look at uh, chapter 12 from the book of Numbers. You guys will turn there. So beginning in chapter 1, we'll read. It says, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman who he had married. So they were a little upset. Um, he, he married a non-Jew. But I want to read. We can stop right there and say this was the reason 
while they spoke against him. But if you read the next two texts, it's a little telling. Look on at verse 2. Let's look at 2 and 3. It says, in the end, notice that end. It's just kind of like the therefore. If we have to ask, what's that therefore? So let's go back and just read it again. It says, Marion and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? So we have what looks like a little bit of um, sibling rivalry here. Um, looks to me like some jealousy because the, the incident was Moses had this privilege that was unique amongst all other people where he got to speak to the Lord as though as the text says mouth to mouth or he got to see the form of the Lord whereas everyone else didn't have this privilege. Let's keep on reading verse 4. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam come out you three to the tent of meeting. This doesn't sound good. And the three of them came out, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream, but not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all of the house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And behold, the form of the Lord. And behold, he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then are you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the Lord became angry and his anger was kindled and he departed. So again, we see this situation where it seems like on the surface they're just upset with Moses uh, marrying this Cushite woman. When reality is... They're more jealous about the, the relationship that God has with Moses specifically. Verse 10 to 15. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned towards Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O oh my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, O oh God, please heal her, please. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had to but spit in her face, should she not be shamed for seven days? Let her be shut outside of the camp seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out to march till Miriam was brought in again. One of the things really intriguing here is Moses pleads and prays for his sister who is speaking out against him. Also, if you look at verse 15, it says that she was shut out of the camp for seven days and the people did not set out to march till Miriam that was brought back in again. We, from this one, we can see that, that Miriam's sin just didn't affect her, but it affected the whole camp. It delayed the, their travels. So we have Moses, we have, we have Miriam, we have Miriam. Um, a few more people I want to highlight is Aaron's four brothers. We're going to look at Nadab and Abihu and Eleazar and Ithamar. If you look in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, if you guys will turn there, 
We're going to see the story of Nadab and Abihu. And this is one, I would say, out of all the stories that we read about and learn in Numbers, this is one that's very applicable for the church today. Beginning in verse 2, it says, These are the names of the sons of Aaron. Nadab the firstborn, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the appointed priest whom he ordained to serve as priest. But Nadab and Abihu, anytime you see that, but, the plot's about to take a twist. So we see right here, it says, but Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered unauthorized fire. The King James and the NASB call it strange fire. It says that Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered strange fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had no children. So the judgment wasn't just that they died. God cut off their lineage. They had no children, which was even a greater punishment. So Eleazar and Ithmar served as priests in the lifetime of Aaron, their father. So, so what's the application in this for us? Is this, God forbids man's innovations in worship. God laid it out very detailed in the book of Leviticus how he was to be worshipped. And we go back and we read about the different types of offerings, and we read about the different types of sacrifices, and that can be real, seem real redundant, and we just tend to want to gloss over that, but the reality is this. It's there and it's inspired word of God for a reason. Because God's worship and how he's worshipped is important to us. I think too often we come to church and and we start picking things out. I'm guilty of this. When we, we, we've had to move and look at different churches. And I find myself just being, you know, just, just taking tally of the things I like and don't like. And, you know, no, nah, you know, music, you know, uh, the, the, the word, you know, I, I'm more contemporary. I don't like the hymns. Or, um, and by the way, I don't know if you guys know this. There was a point in time in history where hymns were forbidden. Back when the church only sung songs. And, and so just like the new music today can, can bring startle and, and make us wonder, you know, is this glorifying God? There was a time when they, even the hymns where a lot, a lot of the old school back then were against the hymn. They said, no, we've always sung songs. And so, again, there's some changes there. And, and there could be debate as to, to what's, you know, to be done in worship when it comes to music. However, you know, style's one thing. But if God has commanded something, that's, where, that's the thing that we stay with. And so again, it's not about what we like, but it's what God's commanded in worship. I believe there's some freedom in there, um, even with music. But we just have to make sure that overall our worship is glorifying Him and not ourselves. Next two people I want to look at is um, Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb. If you guys will turn over to chapter 13 for me. If you guys remember the story of Joshua Caleb, there were two of the 12 spies that were sent out to spy out the land of Canaan. And we're going to look at that in chapter 13, uh, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read 1 through 3. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, According to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. So again, Joshua and Caleb were two of these spies. Look down at verse 21. Look at 21 and 22. It says, So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Sin to Roab near Labohamath. 
And they went up into the Negev and came to Hebron. Verse 22b says, Amon, Shishmei, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Now, Anak is just a Hebrew word which means neck or long neck. Um, and this was given to them because of their height. And then we look at verses 23, 24. He um, talks about while they were there that they sampled out some of the fruits that were there. They were told to bring back some of the fruits just to kind of see what this land was like. And then we see the report of the spies in uh, verse 25. It says, At the end of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. So rather than looking at the opportunity to take this land that God's commanded them, they're seeing the obstacle. But I want, to see, I want you guys to see something. Because in that first report, they just mentioned the Anak. And then in verse 30, they, they begin to exaggerate the story. And it says, But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it. See, he sees the opportunity. For we are able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people who we saw there are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, or the Nephilim. Now, if you have an ESV, there's this uh, parenthesis, and it says the sons of Anak who came from the Nephilim. Now, let me say this. That's not inspired word, Okay. If you look at other translations, you will not see that in there. And there's a reason for that. If you notice in the first report, they never mentioned the Nephilim. They just said the Anax were there. If you guys remember back in Genesis chapter 6, the story of the Nephilim. The Nephilim were the giants. There's debate about their origins, and we could have that discussion. However, the, the Nephilim were killed in the flood. And so what they're doing right here is they're exaggerating the story. Their first excuse for not wanting to obey God and go into the land was the, the reality that these people were bigger than them. But then they added on to the fact, that, you know, by saying, oh, well, these are the uh, descendants of the Nephilim. So again, just trying to um, avoid what God's clearly commanded them to do. And let's just say this. Let's just say they were Nephilim. If God's commanded them to to conquer and promises that they'll conquer these people, will, will he not make good on his word? Can we not trust him? I know for me, there's, there's been many obstacles in my life that, that felt like I couldn't overcome. But if God's calling us to overcome them, then we have to move forward in faith. If you look at chapter 32, we, uh, some years later, Moses actually reflects on this day and this incident uh, where we have the report of the spies. In verses 10 through 13, it says, And the Lord's anger was kindled on that day. And he swore, saying, again, so 
God was not pleased with the report of the spies. Let's be clear. Surely none of the men who came out of Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. None except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. Wouldn't it be a great thing to have this set by us? I always try to, as I read the books in the Bible, I always try to place myself in the story and try to figure out which character I resonate with. You know, and, and many times I find myself, you know, I have to resonate with Apostle Paul, unfortunately, prior to his conversion in Acts 9. And many times I see myself like Peter, but not the strong Peter that um, came to power after uh, our Lord uh, was uh, crucified and, and ascended, but rather the one the night that he was betrayed and he was um, in the garden, who was afraid and um, cowardice. But you have these two guys right here, and this in the Bible, if you read through, it doesn't speak of many people as being um, as wholly following the Lord. And so, what a great example we have of Joshua and Caleb. Despite the obstacles that were uh, before them in Canaan, they still followed the Lord. But it goes on to say, and the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel. And he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in his sight was gone. All right, so we've talked about the title, we've talked about the people, talked about the places. So I'm going to hit on the two themes um, I find in the book of Numbers. First is obviously the two census. Again, in chapter 1, uh, we read in the first census of the first generation. And in chapter 26, we see the second generation census. But second, and I feel is very applicable to us today, is um, Israel's wanderings. Um, if we read through, we see this, these two themes all throughout this uh, book. And that's the disobedience of God's people and the discipline of the Lord. And so if you want to turn over to chapter 14, we're going to look at the next few chapters Again, I think this gives us an overview of the whole book. While you're turning there, I just want to read um, chapter 11, verse 1. It says this, and I think this is a key text that just kind of gives you the overall picture of the book of Numbers. It says this, it says, And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. If you notice, this, this takes place in the book of Numbers of chapter 11. And notice that the anger of the Lord caused him to consume, beginning with the outer parts of the camp. But unfortunately, as we keep reading, there's a progression, not only in Israel's sin, but also in God's judgment against them. But if there's one thing we can take from this text alone, I think it's a key text for the book, is that when God's people complain, it displeases them. So think about it. Do we not grow weary of complainers? Many of you guys who have kids, in-laws, co-workers, we get weary of it. How much more so would it grieve a gracious God? So let's look at verse 14. We're going to look at a few texts here. 
Now, beginning in chapter 1, verses 3, it says, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said, Would that we had not died in the land of Egypt, or would we have died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? I want to come back to that last text um, a little later. But again, I just want you guys to see the mindset of Israel here. We'll look down at 26 through 34. Let's look at the Lord's response. So we have the people complaining. And let's look at what the Lord says. Verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? Well, hold on. In verse 1 and 2, what did it say? It said that all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept the night, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. But down here, 26, it says what? The Lord says, how long will this congregation grumble against me? There, there, there's a connection to make here, and that's this. When we grumble against God's servants and God's church, do we not also grumble against him? The very thing that Jesus came to die for, he loved the church and gave himself up for, we grumble against it. Keep reading and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall this congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumbled against me. Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, What you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and all of your number, listed in this census from twenty years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, not, not one shall come into this land where I swore that you would make I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jenneth, and Joseph, the son of Nun. But your little ones, who you said would become prey, remember back in verse 3, when they, they made the proclamation that their wives and their children would become prey. He says, but your little ones, who you said would become prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. How did they reject it? They rejected it by complaint. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. And your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and shall suffer for your faithful, faithlessness. Let this be an example of parents, grandparents. Many times our kids will suffer as a result of our choices and sin. And if you don't believe me, just take a look at our uh, DSS our social services system. There's many kids today who are suffering because of the sins of their parents. And your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. So not only did they have to suffer shepherds and wander in the wilderness because of their unfaithfulness, they had to watch their parents die because of their sins. According to the number of the days in which you spied off the land, 40 years, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity 40 years. You shall know my displeasure. Think about that for a minute and it just, it shakes me. 
And I think about all the times I complain. And I think about this judgment here. Forty years for each day there in the wilderness complaining. Thank God that he hasn't executed that kind of judgment on us. I think after 40 years I wouldn't know his displeasure. Leave that last text there. So again, let's, I want to ask the question, what's the source of the grumbling and complaining? We look at the source of grumbling and complaining. I would say it comes from an ungrateful and unthankful heart. If you look at uh, the chapter 11 again, verse 4 through 6, it says, Now the, the ram, the rabble, read that again. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. God calls them rabble. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Again, they're complaining. What are they complaining about? They complain about the manna. What was the manna? Was it not food? Was it not provision that God provided despite of their sin? They didn't have to work for it. All they had to do was go out and pick it up. It's crazy. And this is just evidence that an ungrateful, unthankful heart will blind us to the blessings that are right in front of us. Furthermore, grumbling, complaining leaves us living in the past. Look at verse 5 again. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers and melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. They remember the food, but they forgot the slavery. Forgot they were slaves. They were harshly treated. We find ourselves in the wilderness seasons of life. It's easy to adopt that mindset that things were better back then, overlooking their slavery. And so they're, they're contemplating going back. Let me ask you this. Do you really think the Egyptians would be happy to see them again after their God had just drowned their whole army? I don't think so. But again, our, too often our sinful hearts have us a way of looking backwards in the past, reminiscing on the one good thing, the food, but we forget the rest. I think that's why in many places in Scripture there's texts that tell us to not look back. Matter of fact, if you'll just turn, hold your finger there in Numbers and turn over to uh, chapter 43 in Isaiah. We'll look at the text from the Old Testament and the one from the New Look at Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 and 19. It says this. It says, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Why? Behold, I'm doing something new. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. It's, it's hard to see the blessings in front of us when we're always looking backwards. In fact, we're looking backwards we're going to stumble over every blessing in front of us. It's that old saying that the uh, rearview mirror is much smaller than our front windshield. But again, we're too often looking back about what's behind us. And then we have Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Paul writes this. He says, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, 
forgetting what lies behind and straining forward for what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, the one thing I do, forget what's behind me and straining to what lies ahead. Let us not forget Lot's wife. Everybody remembers Lot's wife in Genesis. When they were commanded to leave Sodom and Gomorrah, what happened? And she's fleeing Sodom. She looks backwards and what happens? She turns to a pillar of salt. So again, all through the book of Numbers, how we see God's people marked by complaining. Um, let's look at verse 16. The book of Numbers, you guys will turn there. We'll look at uh, chapter 41. It says, but on the next day, all the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. On the next day. Well, what happened the day before? Anybody remember? God had to bring judgment to the camp of Corinth. This is where he opened up the ground and consumed 250 people because of their complaining and revolt against God's holy servants, Moses and Aaron. And if that wasn't enough, they still complained, and then, then what happened? If you keep reading, it says that, um, that God then had to bring a, a, a plague, killing 14,700 people. So when I ask the question, again, the book of Numbers is marked by God's people complaining. When we look at the church today, 3,000 years later, what's different? What's different? I think if there's one sin that characterizes the church today, it's the sin of complaining. And I think this is why this book is so relevant for today. It'd be easy just to stop right here praying in, but we have to ask ourselves the question, what's the solution for our grumbling and complaining? It's a solution. I think we find it in the book of Numbers. You guys will turn over to uh, chapter 21. So not only does God bring forth the sins of his people and confronts them on it, he also shows us our solution. So in chapter 21, we see the story of the bronze serpent. We'll pick it up in verse 4. It says, from the Mount Or, they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Eden. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? For there is no food, no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. By the way, you look at the number, more, about 60% of uh, the Israelites died in the wilderness. Um, it's estimated based on the census. This, at that time, they only gave census for men 20 years and up who were able to go to war. They estimated about 2 million people in the wilderness. Some question that, but again, God can provide for 2 million people just like he can feed 5,000 people with a loaf of bread and a few fish. Um, that would put about 1.2 million people Dying in the wilderness because of sin. 
Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and the many people died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he will take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So again, what's our solution to complaining? This bronze serpent is what we would call an Old Testament typology. And what a typology is simply is a symbolism meant to represent something else in the future. And the lifting up the serpent on the pole was a foreshadowing of the lifting up of Christ on the cross. And just as they had to look up at this bronze serpent who was lifted up in the wilderness, they had to look up to it in faith to bring physical healing. We too have to look to Jesus on the cross in faith for the remedy of our sin. So an application, two things. Just as the Israelites were sent to wander in the wilderness for their sins, sometimes God places us in a wilderness because of our sins. But God's merciful, and he will restore us. If we'll simply just repent and look to him. Second, God may not change our location or our circumstances until he, we change our attitude in them. Say that again. Many times God will not change our location or our circumstances until we, we change our attitude in them. Oftentimes it's this, that he puts us in these circumstances to reveal the idols of our hearts that we may turn from them. And also to prepare us for that next season of life, or in this case, the wilderness. So I said 40 minutes, so I may have made it 30. <laughs> um, I do want to close, I want to close with two quotes. Um, two of my uh, favorite uh, Puritan uh, writers. I love the Puritans, they, they, they were so far ahead of their times. Um, first one's pretty, pretty short, uh, it's about Thomas Brooks. He says this, he says, it is better to be a mute than to murmur. It's better to mute than to be a murmur. Reminds me of um, Proverbs 17 and the words of our Lord in Matthew, Matthew chapter 12. But then probably my favorite one is this by Thomas Watson. He says this, he says, murmuring is, murmuring is quarreling with God. Numbers 21.5 says that they spoke against God. The murmurer says in his heart, God has not dealt well with me and I deserve better from him. It's in Numbers chapter 17, 10 that the Israelites are called murmurers and rebels in the same text. Remember, it was Satan who first led a rebellion against God. Therefore, our murmuring is devil's music. Let us pray. Father, Far too long, your church has been characterized as a people who complain. I don't think we have to search our hearts hard to see that quite possibly it was this morning on the way to church, yesterday evening, this weekend, or 
sometime last week during work, we've found ourselves complaining about the very provisions that you've given us, Lord. Complain about the food that you give us, physical and spiritual, places you bring us. But we forget that you're sovereign and that you work all things for your glory and for our good. But I just pray this morning to help us to open our eyes to see the blessings that are around us. Most importantly, what I just pray that you would help us to lift up our eyes to see the cross. Lord, if there's anybody who had reason for just complaint this morning, it was you. Who knew no sin, suffered under the hands of sinful men, only to die for them. Lord, let us remember that as we go about our day and our week, Lord. Lord, help us to run the race with endurance, looking to you. So, all the perfect of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.